Hello, good evening and welcome to the mini-series on Of Mice and Men, another straight-talking English podcast, little series thing. I am your host, Catherine, and I'm so pleased to have left the Victorian text behind me. It was getting such a bore because I've been doing them since, like, the summer. So moving forward in time to 1937, the era of Of Mice and Men. A little bit of business to do first. I am at str 8 Talking English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com. And my Patreon is now live. So if you look for Patreon, Straight Talking English, you can find me. Supporters, you will get a shout out. There is a number of goals up there, a number of tiers you can support at. Ben Minman bare minimum is a pound a month if you support what I do and for top tier subscribers I will do a custom episode and a custom blog post on anything you want me to do so if you having to teach Pride and Prejudice you have to read Great Expectations you straight up just wish I would talk about Benjamin Zephaniah a little bit more that's cool I will totally do that if you are my top tier subscriber and anyone who checks out Patreon Straight Talking English will get a little shout out and my eternal love and thanks. So moving quickly on, today I'm going to talk to you about dreams. Dreams in the 1920s, dreams are shattered and I'm putting it out there. Of Mice and Men is a novella of a conflict between dreams. A conflict between the different interpretations of the idea called the American dream. Because it is not as simple as we are told when we're in the classroom or when we are told when, in my case, you're given a pre-prepared PowerPoint from head office and they tell you to read out. It's the belief you can do well if you work hard. Because that is really not the whole thing. So, we all have dreams. My dream is either, well, primarily, for one day, podcasting and writing and doing all my cool stuff would be my full-time job. Partly the reason I Patreon is because I do this for the love of it. I do it because I really love books. But I have a day job. And one day, I would love to do this professionally. Also, another dream I have, I want to give a TED Talk. I want people, I want my name to be up there on TED.com other dream you know that bit in beauty and the beast where Belle opens up the doors and the beast has given her a library i want a library like that with ladders oh my days like i don't know how i'm gonna get that but you know it's dreams it's dreams so this thing about the american dream it's been floating around since well basically since the american constitution life liberty and the pursuit of happiness is the goal of the american people so you are pursuing what makes you happy. However, just letting you know, spoiler, it's dead. 2016, uh, during Trump's election campaign, he pronounced the American dream is dead. Okay, cool. As soon as he said that, Vice President Mike Pence jumped in and said the American dream is in trouble. That's why the American people chose a president whose family lived the American dream and was willing to go in and fight to make the American dream available for every American. Okay, lovely example of repetition, but he hasn't actually defined what it is. Great. So let's talk about 
the different dreams and see if we can work towards the definition of the American dream through them. Let's take George's secret dream. First of all, the one he has if he got rid of Lenny. God almighty, if I was lone, I could live so easy. I could go get a job and work, no trouble, no mess at all. And when the end of the month comes, I could take my 50 bucks, which is about 700 pounds, go into town and get whatever I want. Why, I could stay in a cat house all night. I could eat any place I want, hotel or any place, and order any goddamn thing I could think of. And I could do all that every damn month. Get a gallon of whiskey or sit in a pool room and play cards and shoot pool. Well, sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? Also, one of my students completely mispronounces this as cat's house, which I enjoy a lot more. George's dream is to consume, is to access all the pleasures of the 1920s, to live his own version of the Great Gatsby lifestyle. 1920s, not only have we got this new tech, all the cool stuff, fridge, cars, nice, but we also have the very beginning of like the Mad Men advertising. We've got modern adverts. And to go along with modern adverts, we've got instalment and credit systems for paying them. Interestingly, the automotive industry, Henry Ford and all that, it's one of the first industries to get behind that. The slogan is, ride now, pay later. Adverts are raising expectations. They're giving people the idea that they're entitled to a better standard of living. Going into debt used to be like a deeply shameful thing, but now it's basically okay if you're getting instant gratification. It's not true that George wants to have the Great Gatsby ridiculous lifestyle. He wants to have any good lifestyle. Stuff has been going downhill in the farming sector since, like, the end of the First World War. So the First World War, we'll try and get this right. First World War, you've got this boom in demand for farm products because there's loads of soldiers, they're overseas. We've got this war economy. So farmers are doing really well. It's price guaranteed by the government. However, as soon as it stops, farmers are in general producing too much, can't sell it all. And the price of wheat and other stuff, if you're selling it, has dramatically gone so farmers are not sharing in the high life of the 1920s. They are having, yeah, just like a perpetual slump. The average farm wages uh, were $830 in 1920, which is about... 2016 eight grand a year these obviously like cost of living is different as well but that's not a lot uh by 1924 it had slipped back to 551 dollars or six grand so it's basically like a 25 percent loss the he cannot enjoy any of the good things that are open to city people that's what he dreams of to be honest, there's a lot of logistical problems as well. There's literally no highway. There's 750 miles of concrete highway in the whole of America. There isn't even the kind of places that he wants around him. I mean, assuming like pool room, bar, maybe like a saloon, um, what I'm going to call a cat cafe, which uh, is a lot nicer than uh, the brothel he's referring to. Like, that kind of place is not going to exist around him. So poor old George has this dream of inclusion and it's never ever gonna happen. Let's take Curly's wife's dream. She says, could have been in the movies and had nice clothes, all them nice clothes like they wear. And I could have sat in them big hotels and had pictures took of me. And when they had them previews, I could have went to them and spoken the radio and it wouldn't have cost me a cent because I was in the picture. 
all of them nice clothes they would wear because this guy says I was a natural. Okay, okay, I'm gonna dive. I'm gonna diverge from my show notes for a sec, purely because um, we know that you're not gonna be a famous actor because you get to see yourself in your own films. It's a very naive way of seeing the world, which makes me wonder: Is Curly's wife quite young? She's referred to as young, but Steinbeck was 35 when he wrote this, so young compared to 35. I mean, I always see her as, like, late teens, early 20s, like, maybe 19. But she's so sheltered. And this idea of, like, I can see movies for free because I'm in them. It's like, oh, oh, sweetheart, oh, no. Like, bless her, just bless her cotton socks. This isn't That Surprising a Dream for the 1920s. This is when we talk about the golden age of Hollywood with Rudolph Valentino and these beautiful, glamorous people all over. I love it because my mum made me watch all the films when I was a kid. Didn't really appreciate them at the time. But they are absolutely gorgeous and glorious. Charlie Chaplin and Fatty Arbuckle being accused of all horrible things and scandals. And wow! This is big business. So by the mid-twenties, cinemas were selling on average 50 million tickets a week. Which is a sum equal to about half the US population every week. It's like, wow. (laughs) And this is another American dream. The idea that you can be just discovered. And you can have that moment in the spotlight. You can make that career just through a chance discovery. It's like the, um, well, true anecdote. Um, Kate Moss is 14. She's out and shopping in Croydon. And she's spotted and that's it. I mean, it's a dream that many people have. It's not going to happen though. If we look at other actresses who had their big breaks around this time, it's not going to happen. Their breaks in are very different. So, um, Bebe Daniels, one of the most famous actresses to move over to the talkies, this new innovation where we can record sound onto movies, came from a showbiz family. She had an actress as a mum, her dad was a theatre manager. She'd been on stage since the age of four. She'd been doing bit parts in films since she was eight. And by the time in by the time of 1910, she'd worked with three studios and was in a short as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. When she was 14, she joined a comedy studio with um, big, big star Harold Lloyd. And after four years of doing that, she had after like done her graft done her like extras done her bit parts and then she was signed up with the big leagues mary pickford the slightly more famous example was traveling around in the theater from the age of five she never went to school by the time she was 15 she was on stage in broadway and there she got spotted by directors that she worked with the demille brothers and was then taken to hollywood there is no no chance that curly's wife who is living somewhere in rural california is ever gonna make it as an actress and she's just believing in this coincidence but you get these people 
who are becoming celebrities. We've got the rise of celebrity culture at this point. Celebrity culture as we'd recognise it, so like magazines, star profiles, and she wants in. That's another dream that's never ever gonna happen. Let's talk about the big dream, the farm, the beautiful ranch, George and Lenny's dream. Lenny says, come on George, tell me, please George, tell me like you've done before. And George's answer is, guys like us that work on ranches are the loneliest guys in the world. They got no family. They don't belong no place. They come to a ranch and work up a stake and they go into town and blow their stake. And the first thing you know, they're pounding their tail on some other ranch. They ain't got nothing to look forward to. Lenny says, that's it, that's it. Now tell how it is with us. And George says, with us, it ain't like that. We got a future. We got someone to talk to that gives a damn about us. We don't have to sit in no bar room blowing in our jack just because we got no place else to go. If their mother guys gets in jail, they can rot for all anybody gives a damn, but not us. And Lenny says, but not us. And why? Because, because I got you to look after me and you got me to look after you and that's why. And then George goes on and he tells this beautiful fairy tale. We're going to get the jack together. We're going to have a little house and a couple of acres and live off the fat of the land. And... <laughs> It's, it's kind of, it's just sweet. We'll have a big vegetable patch and a rabbit hut and chickens when it rains in the winter. We'll just say the hell with going to work and we'll build up a fire in the stove and sit around and listen to the rain coming down on the roof. Sounds nice, doesn't it? And this is a dream that's been pitched for a long time at Americans. Think back to the Old West, this sort of land grab. Where it was advertised, if you can get to this place, there is land that you can own. Like, wagon trails and stuff obviously we're going to ignore the bit where it's like this land is free no one lives here and there's like obviously people living there native americans and it's pitched as no it's great you can have it okay we're just going to ignore that for a second and focus on the rhetoric like people are told as late as 1900 things like why this wasteland could be europe if it's plowed in the right way like well sure it rains for less than 20 in inches a year but the miracle of dry farming a fella could turn this land into gold put a windmill in and up comes water for your hogs chicken and garden any three-toed fool could do it like they're recycling this nostalgic old myth of you can have that you can have that self-sufficiency you can have be your own boss you can live this libertarian lifestyle without any leadership and it's super idealized because I mean, okay, yeah, they're self-sufficient, they're running a farm, but we cannot live, no man is an island, we are all members of one body, says Inspector Ghoul. So it is, it's a dream that's never going to happen, especially given the state of agriculture in the 1920s. But, bless, bless. Let's talk a little bit about poor old crooks. They use the N-word a lot in this book. Candy uses it a lot. It's just awkward. It's awkward for us to read it. Steinbeck in no way is a racist dude. He, despite the language he uses, he um, actually expresses a lot of respect for black Americans. But he puts it in because Candy is old. He is a product of his time. Candy thinks it's totally cool to say the N-word in, in an amused tone of voice. And he's putting it in just to show an attitude see crooks was living at a point of segregation 
The Jim Crow laws very much limited what he could do, where he could live, where he could travel and sort of just it varied from place to place. When we talk about Jim Crow we talk about this body of laws. I'm going to talk a lot more about crooks and this idea of like identity in another episode but I want to touch on his dream. He jumps in to the dream of getting on the ranch and it's quite like coy it's like well i guess if you wanted someone to help out i suppose and it is coy but he wants to buy into this we're assuming that on this fantasy farm ranch where we all eat alfalfa or whatever he won't live in segregation it wouldn't make sense logistically right to build a whole separate house for crooks he'd be able to live in the same manner as the other men so go back in time a little bit 1926 which is 11 years before of mice and men is written the president warren harding made it really really clear that this is what he wanted he said i believe the federal government should stamp out lynching remove that stain from the fair name of america i believe negro citizens of america should be guaranteed the enjoyment of all their rights they have earned the full measurement the full measure of citizenship bestowed all right all right so this is promised in 1926 very good cool and roosevelt's elected and his wife eleanor roosevelt is really really keen um like trying to start not what we call the civil rights movement now but try and make things generally less disgusting for the black population of america and it's shut down absolutely every turn any effort that will prevent like anything improving is shut down by members of congress shut down by the government so despite these individual aspirations it just doesn't move forward i mean mostly due to people's weird stuck in the past ideology mostly due to like this suspicious of anyone suspicion of anyone who was called a hyphenate like african hyphen american or italian hyphen american and this idea that like being an outsider gave you a loyalty to someone that wasn't america just sort of didn't happen plus logistically i mean if equality is allowed then you're gonna have to pay everyone the same amount of money and that's gonna mean much higher bills we are gonna talk about you know oh what is it lower wages and higher profits or whatever it is mr burling says so crook's dream is of equality but also getting what he's owed i mean same as george just getting what he's owed not asking for anything crazy just like i want the thing that i was promised a few days ago yeah let's talk about the last person though that gets involved in the dream well the last person on my list anyway but he gets involved in the dream a little bit earlier candy so candy is old he also has one hand so even though in some ways he's relatively lucky he has a regular job as a cleaner well, he's called a swamper but it's like the same thing it's like cleaning looking after the, like looking after the machinery like mucking out the horses whatever he's got a steady job that's mostly inside but he doesn't 
really have a long-term prospect in that. At some point, he's going to get too old and he's going to get too ill to be able to do that. And there is no safety net. He doesn't have pension because it's the 1930s. He doesn't have any form of like social security, anything like that. Any sort of like disability... <laughs> I don't want to say disability benefits, it seems like an oxymoron, but any kind of provision that we have now to help people with a physical issue, he don't have. He has as well, but he has the cash, he has his compensation check, and that entitles him to like his stake in the dream we're talking however the great depression 1930s we're talking about eugenics of course oh disgusting we have a resurgence in the idea of the eugenics movement which means the survival of the fittest the best the brightest the strongest should be like bred into the human race in order to give these traits to future generations and breed better people if you're a quote-unquote undesirable like being old and one-handed or being lenny and having some kind of um mental deficiency then you are not included and you are not considered to be someone worthy of people's time just a quick divergence onto lenny by the way there is such a tendency to label people at a distance so if we met lenny today we may well say he has a condition such as i don't know a global learning delay or i mean i don't think he can read and write so we could say he was severely dyslexic but Steinbeck does not use those words. Steinbeck says he has the mind of a child. So that's what I'm sticking to. Mind of a child, adult man's body, doesn't know his own strengths. Despite like what we might say about him today, if we met him, that's not relevant looking at that. Lenny wouldn't have known those words. And they come with their own language of like baggage with them. So for example, if I say, oh, Lenny is dyslexic, you're immediately going to get the picture in your head of maybe a dyslexic person that you know or yourself if you are dyslexic or you might get a picture in your head of say a book with a different font that's not relevant to our portrayal of Lenny even though stuff is so rubbish for disabled people the president is Franklin Delano Roosevelt who has a physical impairment he uses a wheelchair because he taught he uh, developed polio and it led him to lose the lose, lose the use of his legs he did not uh, widely publicize this though he generally um was positioned so he looks like he was sitting down or he put himself on a like next to a podium there was i mean there wasn't an, an option there was an option for candy as he got older and that's to be placed in a home we know again care homes as we see them now generally like nice quiet places for old people no we are talking about the kind of horror homes that you see in documentaries we're talking like american horror story asylum we're talking like no regulation no checks candy's future is awful if he can't get some support so 
his dream again is just to get what's owed to him it's just to get the support of other people he is alone in the world and especially after his dog goes and that's what he's entitled to it's this prevailing attitude in the 1920s this is what we are entitled to there's a really famous article from a women's magazine called we ought to be rich this guy is a financier his name is john j raskub and he wrote an article for a magazine because we ought to be rich and he said suppose a man marries at the age of 23 and begins a regular saving of 15 dollars a month and almost anyone who is employed can do that if he tries if he invests in good common stock and allows the dividends and rights to accumulate, he will, at the end of 20 years, have at least $80,000 and an income from investments of around $400 a month. He will be rich. And because anyone can do that, I am firm in my belief that anyone not only can be rich, but ought to be rich. We need to get, we need to grasp life with both hands. We can all be rich. We can all have this fantastic life if we just go for it. It sounds nice, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds a little bit like a pyramid scheme. And actually, this is the era of um, the Ponzi scheme, the original Ponzi scheme. Google it if you want to see it. And it makes a whole uh, different context for um, everything, everything. Just like people are quite gullible with their money. 1920s, we also have quite a lot of stock purchasing. At no point are the majority of American stockholders. In fact, it's actually a relatively small amount. I mean, we're also including people who own stocks, say, through inheritance. But it's never actually that many. Still, within certain communities, people are encouraged to invest in stocks and shares. I mean, the idea is that you give your money to a broker. The broker says, oh, okay, you're investing, say, $100. You're buying shares in a company. In a year's time, those shares are going to be worth $200. So you'll get that back. Well, it's obviously, it's a lot higher than that, but we're just pretending. But you say, man, but I've only got $10. And the broker's like, okay, well, you give me your $10 and then take a loan from me for the 90 And yeah, that's cool. This guy called William Benton, who's a former advertising executive, said he felt like it was the start of a perpetual boom that will carry on forever. Life had been pretty good in the 1920s. People just believed it would always happen it would always go on so yeah it's no problem at all taking the hypothetical 90 dollar loan when you've only got 10 because yeah it's cool in a year's time you might even make more than 200 dollars. you might make a thousand who cares i mean now whenever you see an advert usually at the station that says like oh blah 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 this stock investment company there's that warning on the bottom that says um investments can go up as well as down and they didn't have that there was no regulation to the financial sector i mean now we've got a lot of regulation we've got compliance checks we've got all the things that stop people being the wolf of wall street but we don't have that steinbeck looked back and said we had it made not i didn't but most people did 
I remember the drugged and happy faces of people who built paper fortunes on stocks they couldn't possibly have paid for. I made 10 grand in 10 minutes today. Let's see, that's 80,000 for the week. In our little town, bank presidents and track workers rushed to pay phones to call brokers. Everyone was a broker, more or less. At lunch hour, store clerks and typists munched sandwiches while they watched the stock boards and calculated their pyramiding fortunes. Their eyes had the look you see around the roulette table. I saw it sharply because I was on the outside, writing books no one would buy. I didn't even have the margin to start my fortune. I saw them wild spending. The champagne and caviar through the windows. Smelled the heady perfumes of fur-draped ladies when they came warm and shining out the theatres. He's talking about 1929. This is where I'm going to end our story for today. We know 1929, Wall Street crash, okie doke, cool. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means in a different episode. So we've got our dreams, our different facets of what we want out of American life. We want to be rich, we want to have support, we want equality, we want to have farms, we want all these gorgeous things. Up until 1929. Do, do, do. And that is where I will leave you. Thank you very, very much for listening. I am Catherine, SDR8 Talking, SDR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com and Patreon, Straight Talking English. Feel free to spare anything you can. The Full Context series is on Amazon. I've written the books for The Full Context, Behind, Jekyll and Hyde, Christmas Carol and... Sign of Four, which is the most recent one of my cement is upcoming. I've finished the draft this morning and I will speak to you very, very soon to tell you a little bit about Mr. John Steinbeck. Thank you very much.